It's nearly midnight, and I'm on my way to the drop site in a borrowed American-made hatchback. The back row of seats are pushed down to make room for the product. The order had been placed by my cousin, who knew a guy, who knew a guy, and the guy was very particular about the drop-off point. I step into the sterile metallic cargo bay, and a sleepy-looking attendant asks for my bill. I open a page of WhatsApp, then pass him my phone. He doesn't ask me any questions. Clearly, he's facilitated many of these pickups before. He asks me to pull the car around. I pull around to the loading dock and stand outside my car as the massive door lifts slowly. A dolly rolls out with nearly 15 boxes, each worth their weight in gold. I have no idea if what I'm doing is illegal, but it feels kind of wrong. It feels sinful. At the very least, black market, underground. You might be wondering what I'm buying. I've driven two hours out of my way to pick up these boxes. They're expensive, and the business is conducted over a secure messaging app. It's gotta be drugs, right? Oh yeah, baby. It's a drug, all right. It's a shipment of some of the best damn mangoes in the world. Today, Ahmed Ali Akbar brings us the story of Pakistani mangoes and the community that's fighting to make them available in the United States. From America's Test Kitchen, I'm Bridget Lancaster, and this is Proof. OXO wants to make sure your kitchen tools last. So, to simulate use over time, products are tested by robots in the cycle testing lab over and over and over again. And for engineer Noah Panelovich, there's beauty in a durable product. Every once in a while, there'll be times when all the sound syncs up, and you're like, whoa, like, that was amazing. Like, this is really, yeah. this is magical. Suddenly, like, everything's, like, dancing together. Find your kitchen groove. Shop all products at OXO.com. That's OXO.com. OXO. Better guaranteed. Hey, thanks to our presenting sponsor, Bob's Red Mill. Stay tuned at the break for their quiz. So it was a little over a year ago that I drove to the Detroit airport to pick up the goods, Pakistani mangoes, that is. This is Ahmed Ali Akbar. He's a writer, journalist, and host of the incredible See Something, Say Something podcast that explores American Muslim experiences. For over a year, he's been on a quest to understand the trade of Pakistani mangoes in the United States. It all started last year with that shipment of mangoes that he retrieved from the Detroit airport. It was the first time he had eaten Pakistani mangoes on U.S. soil. And for many Pakistani Americans, this is a common story. Because it's incredibly hard to find their home country's most famous fruit in the States. The pickup was successful. I had completed my first deal. Hey, Ahmed, not to interrupt your whole um, mango noir thing you've got going on, but what's the deal with these special mangoes anyway? Well, uh, those particular varieties I picked up are two of the most famous and coveted varietals that you'll find in Pakistan. They're called the Chansa and the Anver Ratol. They're a little smaller, a little more delicate, and less fibrous than we get here, plus a whole lot sweeter. 
You probably eat your mangoes by cubing them or slicing them. Right. Well, some of these Pakistani varieties, when ripe, they're so delicate, you just have to rotate them and gently massage them by hand around the entire surface area. And then you can just pull the stem off, and it's completely liquid inside. So you just suck up all of the juices, and all that's left is the gutli, which is the oval fuzzy seed at the center of every mango. It's not an exaggeration to say that they're the best mangoes I've ever had. They've got an incredible aroma and richness that you can only really understand when you finally have them. So how in the world did you find yourself in Detroit in an airport cargo pickup with, say, 15 boxes in your trunk? So, Bridget, at that point, I wasn't really covering the story as a journalist. I just really loved mangoes, and I was excited to try them. Uh, My cousin had some connect that led me to the airport. You know, I went and picked it up for him. But make no mistake, actually tracing the distribution of these bad boys, it's not easy. After that, I've been on a journey to just figure out where these mangoes are coming from and why it's so underground. The box of mangoes that Ahmed picked up had packing stickers on it that indicated the box had traveled from Karachi, Pakistan, through Houston, Texas. And it had another sticker that said, Texas A&M AgriLife. The only other clue I had was the poster advertising their sale. It says, Mango Mania. It lists the weeks that mangoes are available for purchase, May through August 2019. It lists a website that directs to a fruit market in Texas, and at the bottom, a WhatsApp phone number with instructions to text only. And that's what really piqued my interest. I thought, why are people buying this incredibly rare commodity through WhatsApp? For a fruit with such massive appeal in our community, it feels super informal, and I had so many questions. Why didn't more people know about it? And how big was this WhatsApp market? I kept an audio diary on my iPhone throughout the last year of reporting on this unusual mango trade, and it became clear early on that it would be pretty difficult to get people to talk to me. They're all basically either ignoring my emails or, you know, they're responding up until I want to interview them and then they ghost me, which is pretty frustrating. I initiated contact with different people with a role in the supply chain, and as soon as I revealed that I was a reporter, I wouldn't hear back. This happened many times over the course of this story. What I would eventually learn about Pakistani mangoes and their distribution in the United States is so complex that, and I can't believe I'm saying this, it's going to take two episodes to get to the bottom of it. But let's start at the beginning. So I came to the U.S. in December 1990, and for almost 15 years, the only time I could have Pakistani mangoes were either if once every other year I would visit Pakistan, or if I were to go to Toronto... That's my cousin, Dr. Sarosh Anver, or as you might know him, the surprisingly sweet orchestrator of my shady-feeling Detroit airport mango pickup from the beginning of the story. He's a cardiologist with a gentle, spiritual disposition. Actually, he's my mom's cousin's son, but because of the nature of Pakistani relationships, we're really close. He moved to our little hometown of Saginaw, Michigan, just to be closer to my mother. We call him Roshi Bhai, Bhai meaning brother, He's in his 50s, but he's an early adopter of the internet and has always been on top of finding new technology. In a family that loves food, he might be the one who loves food the most. He shares it joyfully, and it costs him. I think maybe about, uh, well, 2,000 to 2,500. So to 800, 900 was when I was having a party and I wanted my friends to share this delicacy also. WhatsApp wasn't his first way of getting the mangoes. 
First, he would actually drive to Canada for them. To belabor that point, he drove to a different country. He crossed the border just to eat mangoes. And then he found this website where he could order them online. And I found there was this company called MangoZZ.com. That was their web address, which had started importing mangoes from India and then eventually Pakistan. And they would send it via two-day FedEx or priority mail delivery to your home. But exceedingly expensive. Uh, Maybe $10 a mango, so $80 for a box of eight mangoes. They're really expensive to buy this way. And oftentimes, they're not in great shape by the time they arrive. So paying an even higher premium on potentially overripe mangoes isn't an ideal purchasing option. So he stuck to Mangoes Easy and Canadian road trips for a time. But then a friend in our hometown in Michigan told him he could get them on WhatsApp. It's a very simple process. Through the season of mangoes, which runs for about three months, once a week, he puts it on WhatsApp as to next week, on what day, what particular breed or or kind of mango uh, is expected. So Roshibai has developed a kind of relationship with this gentleman who sells the mangoes over text. So when he texts me to order, I just uh, text him back and he charges my credit card, which is on file with him. And then he texts me that this is the AVA bill number when he the mangoes are ready to, to ship. And either I or one of my friends, or, or there's a gentleman who sometimes drives for me, go to Detroit and pick them up. He says despite the two hours to the Detroit airport and two hours back, it's still cheaper and a better use of his time than just ordering a shipment to his house. And he shows no signs of slowing down his mango purchasing. Oh, yeah, the mango milkshake, of course. Uh, And I actually froze some of the Chonsa mangoes, cut them up and froze them so I can still make mango milkshake. And you take ice, sugar, milk, and uh, the mango and blend them together, and it's incredibly delicious. Also a lot of calories. Of course, I had to know, who was his supplier? Turns out my cousin gets his mangoes from a man named Amr Baveja, who lives in Texas. Another one of my cousins in Jersey also buys from Mr. Baveja off WhatsApp. When people in her community find out she's ordering, they want in. So she buys in bulk and distributes them to her community in Jersey for no profit. When I spoke to her about the story, she said she distributed around $10,000 worth of mangoes in one season. So I reached out to Mr. Baveja. I sent him a message on WhatsApp and said I wanted to buy some mangoes and speak to him for a piece. He said, sure. We scheduled a time, but it didn't work until finally he said he didn't want to do the interview. And for almost a year, I wouldn't be able to get him on the phone. Next, I decided to reach out to the source. The sticker on the mangoes I picked up at the Detroit airport said Farm Fresh. Turns out this is a farm in Karachi, Pakistan. Their website offers ordering in bulk quantities to be delivered to Southwest Airlines cargo pickups. The terms and agreement sections of the website is an exercise in redundancy, saying we are not responsible for the conditions of the mangoes in about 40 different ways. After some back and forth, they eventually declined to be interviewed for this piece. But before we go too far, let's talk a little about mangoes. 
The scientific name of the mango is Mangifera indica. It's related to some other plants which may surprise you, like cashew trees and poison sumac. Mangoes are native to the Indian subcontinent, which includes India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. They're generally a hot weather fruit. They'll really suffer if exposed to any frost or freezing temperatures. India also claims some pretty delicious varietals. India's Alfonso mangoes are often considered the best in the world, but Pakistanis like to contend that their Jasa and Anvaratol are up there as well. In the northern part of the Western Hemisphere, we have a few different varieties. Some of the most popular in America include Kent, Tommy Atkins, and Honey. The mango season in America is also quite long. Some varietals are available most of the year. And while we occasionally get mangoes from Florida, the Caribbean, or South America, the majority of mangoes found in a typical American supermarket are from Mexico. Mexican mangoes are great because, as my colleague Miles Karp says, any mango is a good mango. But seriously, the Pakistani varieties I ate while reporting the story are on a whole other level. If a Mexican mango is like a spunky jazz quartet that you patronize at a bar, Jossa and Anvaratol are like a full-on Beyonce concert. <laughs> they are obsession-worthy, Bridget. Mango formation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in Pakistan, comparatively, I guess mango season is pretty short. It lasts from May until late August, but you have varieties like Chansa and Anvaratol that they're only available for a few weeks, and they're super delicate, so you've got a super short shelf life. So needless to say that any kind of transport of these delicate jewels of produce about 8,000 miles in a short amount of time is going to put some serious strain on that supply chain. My late mother was a big mango fan, but mangoes were pretty rare when my mom and dad first came to the U.S. in the 70s. By the time I was old enough to appreciate fruit, around the late 90s, we were finally starting to get more Mexican mangoes in the Midwest market. I remember her bringing them home after work and saying kind of to no one, let's see how these ones hold up. Those Mexican mangoes felt like a really special treat to me, but I also didn't have any point of comparison. Because I spent my entire childhood in Michigan, the only mangoes I knew were those honking red and green ones with all the fiber. And don't get me wrong, I think they're delicious. I like my mangoes a little sour, and those are really good sour. But my mom never thought they were as good as the Pakistani ones. She did, however, think they were getting better over time. I never really knew what that meant. For the first two-thirds of my life, I never even touched a Pakistani mango. I've only encountered them in the last five years, and I could probably count the instances on two hands. They were literally revered in our house, and I barely ever got a chance to try them. After I began working on this story, my cousin bought an absolutely massive shipment off WhatsApp for his brother's birthday, and we had a mango party. It was wild. Just mango carcasses littered everywhere. At this party, I probably ate 6 to 12 mangoes. Here's the thing. They cost $8 a mango. The volume of fruit that I ate could be like the cost of a mid-range dinner at a happening spot in Manhattan. So I'm visiting Pakistan, and it's August. I visit Pakistan pretty often, but almost always in December, when mangoes are a distant memory. But not this time. On a hot day in August, I sat on my uncle's porch tasting Pakistani mangoes in Pakistan, in mango season, for the very first time. 
So I've got a bowl of cut up mangoes in front of me. Um, and I'm going to try them for the first time and see if what they say is true. It was towards the tail end of the season, so they were a bit more sweet than I usually like, but they were a revelation. Whoa! <laughs> oh my god, it's like honey. Super, super duper sweet. And But it's like coming at me from all sorts of angles. It's definitely like eating candy. It feels like candy. It does not feel like a fruit. Wow. Yeah. This is definitely like popping pieces of candy in your mouth. So in that moment, I fully understood why pretty much every Pakistani immigrant longs for mangoes from back home. Have you ever eaten a Pakistani mango? Oh, many times. Many times. One of the earliest flavors I remember tasting is Pakistani mango. This is Zanab Shah. She's a food writer from Lahore. For the past eight years or so, she's called New York home. She works at a startup now, and I went to her office to get some more cultural context on fruit and mangoes in Pakistani culture. Have you been able to acquire them in the United States since moving here? I have not. I came here, and one time I remember, I think I was in a Thai restaurant, and I asked for a mango salad, and the mangoes were not mangoes in that salad. They were like these really hard, tart. It was a fruit, for sure, but it wasn't what I was expecting, and it was kind of like a rude awakening for me where I was like, wait, this is not a mango. This is kind of stunning, right? She posts up these amazing, elaborate food stories on her Instagram. I've seen her roast a whole leg of lamb like it's no big deal. She says the Pakistani mango is her first flavor, and just to drive home the point about scarcity, she hasn't had a single one in the U.S. Zanab does embody a certain Pakistani attitude of generosity with food that was echoed in all of my sources throughout this story. Can you tell me what you've done right before we started this interview? Oh, I made you a cup of chai. I didn't ask her to make a cup of tea, by the way. It just appeared in front of me when we sat down to talk. Why did you make me a cup of chai? <laughs> because it's just, uh, it's just being hospitable, you know? It's like uh, you came to my space and I wanted to be hospitable and I wanted to welcome you. And the way we do that is like by making each other chai. At my house growing up, we did this too. My sisters and I were expected to make tea and prepare a tray of biscuits and snacks for any guest. And while tea is offered to people outside the home, one of the ways of showing love to your family is to cut fruit for them, usually between meals. It's abundance. Fruit is abundance. If you have fruit in your house, like you have fruit at breakfast, you have fruit as dessert, your meal's not fit complete unless you've had fruit. Even shopping for fruit is a big thing on Sundays. I know you go to the Monday. I guess it's what people here call the farmer's market. Like we just like have that without being precious about it. So, yeah, it's just a big part of the way that we eat. Maybe it has to do with Punjab being a very hot province and fruits having more of like a um, hydration, calming, cooling element, especially after like a big meal of spicy food. You have like a very- And in the context of a fruit-centered society, mango reigns supreme. In Urdu and Hindi, and probably some other North Indian languages, we call mangoes am. On the website of one farm in Pakistan, there's this absolutely hilarious drop-down menu on top. It says fruit, vegetable, and mango, as if mango is entirely its own category. So we would sit outside, and there would be one bucket full of ice and mangoes in it. And then there would be another bucket 
on the other side, which you would throw the pits and the peels in. You would pull out, like, you put your hand into this ice that was melting into cold water and these mangoes, which literally felt like they'd come out of the freezer. You'd, like, soften it, and it would be, like, mushy, gooey, really sweet. Um, like, the perfect mango that's not too ripe is, like, not too sweet, not too sour. And you would eat it. It would be like juice and mush, and it would be all over your fingers and your hands and your arms and your face. Well, Emma, the way that you're talking about these mangoes, it all seems a little romantic. It sort of is, but I also want to caution against that. There's a very large literary critique of the mango as a symbol for South Asianness. People often joke that every single post-colonial novel about South Asia features a mango. But if you go back to pre-independence, there's tons of flowery verses dedicated to the fruit. A lot of people like to talk about Mirza Ghalib's poetry extolling the fruit. But honestly, my favorite one comes from Amir Khusro, who's a 13th, 14th century poet. May I read you a piece, Bridget? I am definitely not going to stop you. <laughs> so it's translated from Persian, uh, which is a language I don't speak. But it's in a common format for this genre of poetry, which is kind of like a call and response. It's called, He Visits My Town Once a Year. Here it is. He visits my town once a year. He fills my mouth with kisses and nectar. I spend all my money on him. And then here's the call. Who, girl? Your man? The response, no, a mango. <laughs> it's just amazing, right? It's amazing. Isn't I, it, Bridget? It makes me laugh so much. <laughs> I have to turn the air up in here. <laughs> it's getting a little hot in here. <laughs> yeah, it shows like almost this like love lust that the subcontinent has for the mango. And by the way, just as a side note, Ariana Grande pinned that poem on her Twitter at one point this year. It's just like the best crossover ever. Pakistanis are mango obsessed, so they're constantly looking for ways around the scarcity. Of course, they're trying to grow these Pakistani varietals stateside. My friend Sitara's dad is one of these people. He even FedExed me a box of 12 mangoes recently before I had even ever spoken with him. They were the Glen variety, which originate in South Florida. I forgot to thank him, so I decided to call him up for this story. It's about, I would say, 16 feet tall and about 12 to 15 feet wide. It has four big trunks from the base is one trunk, then it has four big trunks. Mohammed Beg does quality control in pharmaceutical manufacturing during the day. But every summer, his mango trees at his Fort Lauderdale home give him hundreds of mangoes. He's incredibly generous with them, as I found out. This is a pretty common story amongst Pakistani people who grow mangoes. There's a desire to share their mangoes with the entire world. I had never had Glen mangoes before, and I gotta say, Muhammad Uncle's mangoes were very delicious, but they're not exactly the Pakistani varieties I'm looking for. He hasn't had luck fruiting a Pakistani variety yet, but he is trying. He told me that there's a guy down there in Florida who is selling mango trees to the local Florida Pakistani community, and he claims the seeds are of Pakistani origin. They were buying these trees and growing them in their backyard, and they were complaining that it still doesn't taste as good as uh, the one in Pakistan. So the question becomes, can a Pakistani mango tree grow in the United States? Well, the answer is sorta. Like, it may give fruit one year, and then it may not another year. And they're also vulnerable to local fly and fungus infestations. And then, after all that, even if they bloom, it may not taste very good. Hardly a good basis for a cash crop. The man who sold Muhammad Uncle his trees has an idea of why the mangoes didn't take. So 
he told them that uh, there is um, also a difference in soil. Pakistan soil is different. The climate is different. Agriculture is hard. Soil is finicky and environments vary. And apparently American land is so different from Pakistani land that it makes the mangoes themselves different. It's kind of romantic, isn't it? Only the homeland can grow them. Muhammad Uncle does have two baby Pakistani mango trees in his backyard. This is Anwar Latour. It does have the same three or four branches and I'm, I have tied them to keep them straight. And when I get a chance, I'll take a picture of them and I'll send you one. They haven't fully bloomed yet to give fruit, but we're all waiting with bated breath. Maybe I'll even get some of those in my mailbox one day. I did end up thanking him, by the way. No, you're welcome. And then next year, hopefully, we're going to have a full tree and I'll send you more. After the break, Ahmed's gumshoe investigation continues and he gets closer to uncovering the WhatsApp Pakistani mango trade. It's time for another Bob's Red Mill Grain Quiz. And I'm going to call marketing aficionado Sarah Damaris. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Bridget. How's it going? It's going. Now, here's a question. There are lots of different fruit desserts out there, but do you know which of the following is a fruit dessert that traditionally uses oats? Is it a crumble, a crisp, or a pan dowdy? Hmm. In my mind, a crisp and a crumble are the same exact thing, and I could not begin to tell you what a pan dowdy is, but if I had to guess, it would be a crisp. A plus for you. You got it right. Crisps are made with oats. A crumble is a crisp without oats, and pan dowdy is topped with a shingle dough. And Bob's Red Mill organic oats are just the thing that you need to make a wonderful fruit crisp this winter. For more information and a ton of delicious recipes, go to bobsredmill.com. It's okay to be square, especially if you're the Kohler Gray's kitchen faucet. The faucet's transitional design features a soft square shape that will fit into any kitchen's decor. And it comes in a bunch of finishes, like polished chrome, vibrant brushed nickel, and matte black. The faucet head is versatile. It's got aerate sweep and berry soft sprays that allow you to pick the right water stream for the task at hand. The Grays also comes in a full collection, so whether you need a pull-down touchless faucet, a pot filler, or even a bar faucet, Kohler has you covered. Kohler, for people who do their best work in the kitchen. Learn more at Kohler.com. Sure, everyone knows that sous vide is great for cooking steak and eggs, but it can do so much more. And that's why Chef Steps created the Jewel. I went into the test kitchen to find out what my colleagues do with theirs. This roast beef that we have, we set it to a really low temperature and we let it go overnight. The collagen breaks down, the meat gets super, super tender. Basically prime rib, but a quarter of the price. Polenta grits, normally that's a very hands-on dish. You have to like stir it a lot. Sous vide is pretty cool for it because it's hands-off. I actually have a couple of things in the sous vide bath right now, this very moment as we speak. Jewel, perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash jewel and use code ATK2019 to get $15 off. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E, code ATK2019. America's Test Kitchen Kids just launched a cooking club for young chefs. Now stay tuned at the end of this episode for a preview of our new subscription box program, The Young Chefs Club, plus a discount code. 
Before the break, Amit stumbled upon a mysterious mango trade that was operating on the messaging platform WhatsApp. So there's this term that pops up a lot in poli-sci circles, mango diplomacy. It's where the leaders of Pakistan and India will send each other boxes of mangoes as a way to cool things down, you know, after an event in Kashmir or a nuclear test. It doesn't really work. It's a bit of a humble brag also, which doesn't seem very diplomatic to me. Our mangoes are better than your mangoes. These Pakistani mangoes, along with Indian mangoes, were banned as an import to the United States until the late Bush and early Obama administrations. And it turns out, the reason Pakistani mangoes were ultimately approved for import in the United States was due to some mango diplomacy by then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Pakistan had historically exported things like rice and textiles and dried food products into the U.S., but much less fresh agriculture, which is a major industry in Pakistan. So in the Obama era, Clinton was looking for a win to improve trade relations. During a visit to Islamabad, the Secretary of State, she said, I have personally vouched for Pakistani mangoes, which are delicious, and I'm looking forward to seeing Americans be able to enjoy those in the coming months. So why are they still so damn hard to get? I decided to change my approach and focus on WhatsApp. Why do Pakistani mango sellers conduct their business on this app anyway? I feel like WhatsApp is a lifeline. I'm connected That to is Zainab Shah again. So I'm in a group chat where one of my friends is in Vienna, the other one's in Atlanta, and it's me. I'm in a cousin's group chat where I have cousins in the Netherlands, in the UK, in Pakistan. We're all on the same channel. I have a group chat with, like, my uncles and aunties. There's, like, 2,500 people in that group chat. We exchange recipes on WhatsApp. We find ways to stay connected. If there's nothing else to talk about, we talk about what we ate. In the Pakistani community, our networks are really large, tight-knit, and completely global. WhatsApp is a secure messaging platform that was released in 2009, and it completely dominates communication in countries like India, Pakistan, Brazil, and more. Growing up, I always received massive email forwards and chains from my family in Pakistan, but in the past decade, WhatsApp has completely replaced that. I'm in seven different WhatsApp groups with my cousins. So the platform really transformed the way these tight-knit communities speak with one another. It's allowed ease and speed of contact for many people in different time zones with different phone providers. The email forwards were replaced by memes on WhatsApp. For me, though, WhatsApp is an on-again, off-again thing that I use when I feel like connecting. It isn't my primary way of communicating like it is for my family abroad. And that might be why I didn't know Pakistani mangoes were available in the U.S. for so long. And even after I uncovered this unusual supply chain, it never occurred to me that Pakistani mangoes could be procured in any other way. But turns out, I was wrong. The store is located off of Coney Island Ave and Foster Ave. Um, on your way up, you see Bangladeshi groceries. You see, you know, sort of Bangla font. You see Urdu and Arabic font. At this point in my reporting, I couldn't get anybody involved in the distribution of Pakistani mangoes on WhatsApp to talk to me on the record, so I went to Coney Island Avenue. Most people familiar with South Asian communities in New York City know of Jackson Heights in Queens or Murray Hill or Curry Hill in Manhattan as locations where there are a lot of desis. Desis, by the way, referring to anyone from the Indian subcontinent. Coney Island Ave, though, is distinctly Pakistani, so I figured if I was going to find Pakistani mangoes in New York, it would be there. You look, there's Bach Pharmacy Wireless, like Pakistan, or like Bach meaning pure. There's signs in Urdu. There's uh, 
um, Ajua Grocery and Halal store. There's Lahore Chili. One chilly September afternoon, I walked up and down this block of Coney Island Ave. There are tons of ostensibly Pakistani grocers here. Up and down this block, I'd walk from one store to the next looking for mangoes. I'd say, Assalamu alaikum, in between customers speaking in Urdu and Punjabi. So when I asked if they had Pakistani mangoes, the shop owners all said pretty much the exact same thing. Yes, but the season is over now. Oh, they did? They did. So um, for myself, when we have the mango, I open one box in front of me and I leave there or I'm watching all day. That's Manzur Shah. He's the owner of Seven Days Grocery, one of the oldest Pakistani markets in the area. He's charismatic and kind of mischievous, and he rocks a black mustache. He describes mango season as a little bit frantic. He says he sold about 300 boxes this season at about $27 or $28 a box. And they're not just attracting Pakistanis. His mango clientele extends to Jamaicans, Mexicans, or really anybody who can appreciate their beauty. Because they have the quality, they have the smell. And, and when you see, the, let's say, one mango piece in your hand, you don't want to eat, you just want to look. You know, he's look like very pretty. I don't say he look like nice. He look like very pretty. I have a pretty poor sense of smell, but there is no hiding a Pakistani mango. It fills up the whole room with what I would call a perfume, a floral perfume. It's unlike any mangoes available in a typical U.S. market. It's kind of like bringing a bouquet of the most intoxicating, honeyed, edible flowers into the room. I spoke to many corner store owners in New York and one in Michigan, and most confirmed that they've stocked Pakistani mangoes on and off since 2011 or so. So you may ask, why go through all the trouble of picking it up from an airport if you can just go to your local Desi store? So I spoke with a couple of the other grocery stores here, and they've also made the point that the season was poor, and by the time it gets to the customers, by the time it's in your hand, it's not good anymore. It's past ripeness, which seems to be a consistent problem here. So, yeah, you may be able to find a taste of home at your local Pakistani store if you're lucky enough to live in an area with a lot of desis like Chicago or New York, and if you're willing to pay a premium. The mangoes are coming from so far, and they have to go through so many middlemen that they also can be past ripeness by the time they get to the customer. Plus, the demand is super high. The boxes move quickly, so you may not even be able to buy from your favorite Pakistani market consistently. Manzur told me that there's a local company that deals with the logistics. It seems like a truck comes by and drops off mangoes at all of the local stores. I'm selling like almost like uh, three or four years, this mangoes, because before we don't find it, it's hard to find it. Where That's did you find it? Because the people draw, deliver us here. He's coming somewhere in Texas or somewhere, and the people bring from Texas to here, and then he distributed all the shops. Before I left, I had one more burning question. Do you talk to customers on WhatsApp ever? Yeah, of course, of do, course. Do they yeah. buy mangoes off of WhatsApp? WhatsApp, I say, baby, how, how you like my babies? <laughs> to your customers? <laughs> you, <laughs> and they buy them from off WhatsApp? From yeah, you? of course, of course. All the, the ladies, men's, women's, kids, whatever. Yeah. 
So at this point, we know Pakistani mangoes are hard to find in the U.S. They were granted import in 2010, but somehow still remain scarce. We know they're available for a premium on MangoesEasy.com, and we also know that some local desi markets will carry them for a few short weeks in the summer. And we know a lot of this business is conducted on, you guessed it, WhatsApp. But to be honest, I had still yet to make any significant breaks in the case. I knew I would only get my answers if I could crack the supply chain. Next week, in part two of the WhatsApp mango trade, reporter Ahmed Ali Akbar goes to Texas to break open the case of this mysterious industry. Be sure to tune in next week for the conclusion. If you want to see images from Ahmed's mango reporting, well, they're up on our website. That's www.americastestkitchen.com slash proof. Go check it out. And one more thing. If you like Proof, then be sure to subscribe so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. Proof is hosted and produced by me, Bridget Lancaster. Our executive producer is Caitlin Kelleher. Sarah Joyner is our producer, associate producer Caroline Rickert. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Matt Boynton of Ultraviolet Audio. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds composed our theme music. Additional music by Kyle Forrester and Jordan Pearson. Post-production support from Hen Margolis. Our production manager is Diane Knox. Fact-checking by Kaya Williams. Jack Bishop is a Chonsa Mango and the Chief Creative Officer of America's Test Kitchen. David Nussbaum is our CEO. Thanks again to our sponsors, Bob's Red Mill, Kohler, Chef Steps, and OXO. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen. I'm here in the studio with my colleague, Molly Birnbaum, and she's the editor-in-chief of America's Test Kitchen Kids. Hey, Molly. Hey, Bridget. Thanks for having me. (laughs) You bet. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit more about America's Test Kitchen Kids? Yeah, for sure. So America's Test Kitchen Kids is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. All of the great, reliable recipes and cooking content of America's Test Kitchen, but reimagined for kids. And we just launched a new Young Chefs Club subscription box kids receive a themed box filled with kid-tested recipes, hands-on activities and experiments, and other super fun creative stuff. Sounds great. Can you give me, uh, I don't know, an example of some of the experiments that you might receive in one of those Young Chef Club boxes? I can actually do you one better, Bridget. I've actually brought an assistant with me to the studio today. This is Layla. Hi. (laughs) Hi, Layla. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you. So today we're going to explore the science of crispy versus crunchy, two super important textures and two of the most popular food textures for snacks. This is part of a science experiment for our January Young Chefs Club texture box. So we're going to start. You guys both have some chips, classic potato chips and tortilla chips. Do you think you can tell the difference between crispy and crunchy using just your ears, just the sound that you hear when you bite into those chips? Uh, maybe. I don't know. We'll find out. All right. Let's get into it. So I'm going to eat the potato chip first. I think this one is crispy. Crispy, why? Because it's more delicate and more, like, easier to break. Okay. Great. Want to try the other one? Yeah. 
Okay, so this one is the tortilla chip. <laughs> what does that one sound like to you? I think that the tortilla chips were more um, thick and I think they were crunchy because they sounded like lower pitch in my mouth. Yeah, they sounded like my brothers yelling at each other. <laughs> so yeah, the potato chips sounded crispier because it sounded like more high-pitched in my mouth. And it sounded like my guinea pig, kind of, <laughs> like um, squeaking and stuff because it was more high-pitched. Yeah, that's totally right. One thing that scientists agree on with crispy and crunchy foods is that they sound different when we eat them. And so you are, are right. The potato chip is crispy, whereas the tortilla chip is crunchy. And in the science experiment in the box, we go into that in a bunch of different ways, including measuring the force it takes to break one of these chips. But what scientists have found is that people describe foods that make higher-pitched sounds as crispy and foods that make lower pitch sounds as crunchy. This was great. And thanks, Layla. Thank you to Molly. And if you want to get this experiment and lots of other great recipes and activities for the young chef in your life, well, then head over to atkkids.com proof. Use code ATKKIDS10 at checkout for 10% off your first box. Hey, Layla, what's your favorite chip? Um, which flavor? Any kind. I like salt and vinegar. 